This is episode 34 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. Another week, another late podcast, ho-hum. Hey, at least this one's Tuesday, even if it's not the right one. Today is going to be a headline show. Last week, I did a ton of story research, but due to circumstances that were probably not nearly as out of my control as I will claim, I never found the time to do my write-ups. But you know what? You guys are probably just as sick of hearing my excuses as I am of coming up with them. While doing that research, I did come across a sidebar that I have to share that should tell you most of what you need to know about your mainstream media's far-left-leaning priorities. The sidebar was one of those, here's some other headlines you should read type of house ads. The headlines they were pushing. An image of a burning forest said, What will Australia's election mean for the planet? An image of an older-looking white female politician confronting my family's slave-owning past. And an image of a men's athletic supporter the jockstrap that revolutionized women's sports. Now, I don't want to spoil the surprise by telling you which news outlet it was, especially since it really could have come from any of them, but it was bbc.co.uk, a fact that makes this progressive bias about 10 times worse because it means UK citizens' hard-stolen tax dollars are wasted on these stories. At least here in the States, they have that overused it's-a-private-company argument to fall back on. I never used to be the one to take sides in the left versus right political debates. I hated them both. I've always been on the side of the individual, the person, who has always been woefully underrepresented on the national and international political stages. Ten years ago, I might have described myself as a centrist. I actually preferred the term individualist. I hated Republicans for limiting my personal freedoms, for militarizing cops, for their pants-on-head retarded approach to bodily autonomy, and for repeatedly involving America in foreign wars. And I hated Democrats for limiting my economic freedoms, for legalizing crime, for their pants-on-head retarded approach to economic policy, and for repeatedly involving America in foreign wars. But something happened to the spectrum in the last decade. The Marxist progressives have taken the wheel of the leftist party and dragged it so far left that even classical liberals, the kind of people who back in the 1960s might have marched for civil rights, who would have voted for JFK and who thought Martin Luther King was onto something with that whole treat people as people, not as their skin color thing. Even classic liberals now find themselves in the right side of the spectrum. It's not you that moved, the spectrum did. And... While the communist left has been pivoting toward authoritarianism, using their ideology to justify forcing their ideology onto all non-ideologues, the party on the right was transforming as well, into a more populist stance. Aristocrats and intellectual elites love to coin populist as some kind of dirty word. At its raw essence, populist means government by the people. At best, that begets the truest form of democracy. At worst, it's mob rule. In both cases, you'd expect aristocrats and elites to hate it, though, because it means people who aren't them are ruling, and it represents a threat to their ivory towers. The most obvious examples of resurgent populism, brought about as a direct response to rising authoritarian collectivism, are Brexit and Trump. 
the former a public-driven movement to reject the increasing centralization of power in Brussels, the latter a non-politician politician who got more citizens to vote for him than any presidential candidate in history, but who was universally detested by literally every single entrenched institution in the country. And yeah, yeah, there's still plenty of war Republicans, the religious authoritarians backed by lobbyists, super PAC, the party establishment and inertia. But what they're not backed by is the people, not anymore, which means they're on their way out. And so as the left pivots toward authoritarian statism and the right pivots toward individualism, well, I guess I forgot where I was going with this. Damn it, I got philosophical again. This show is supposed to be about tech news. I'm supposed to be reporting on and ridiculing the idiot things that Silicon Valley tech companies do. In my defense, it'd be a whole lot easier to focus on one side or the other if those idiot tech companies would stop blurring the lines. I tell you what, I will make every effort to stop mixing politics and tech just as soon as Silicon Valley does the same. Our first headline comes out of where else? Russia. I called this one weeks ago. Big American tech companies taking sides in a local conflict on the other side of the planet and shutting down all contact with their Russian customers. Put aside your preconceived opinion on which Vlad shot first and look at this from a business perspective. There's a war going on, okay, but you're on the other side of the world. You're personally in no danger. A true profiteer would continue selling computers to both sides. No? No. Instead, companies are pulling out of Russia and screwing over every con customer in an entire country. People have absolutely nothing to do with the conflict except to be unfortunate enough to live behind the wrong line on a map for virtue signaling points. And in many cases, the sudden cessation of activity means breaking contracts, service agreements that your customers entered in good faith, expecting you to uphold your side of the bargain. Defaulting on those arguments is not only unethical and douchey, it's also illegal. Last week, an arbitration court in Moscow ruled in favor of plaintiffs in a class action suit against Dell LLC for breach of contract of their established support agreements. Specifically, Dell stopped providing support and parts for their enterprise server and VMware lines of business. The court ordered 11 million of Dell's assets in Russia seized to be liquidated in order to reimburse plaintiffs for service costs. The bleeping computer article also, that I got this from also reports on similar lawsuits against Netflix and Apple for breach of contract, which have not worked their way through the courts yet. The former by a consumer advocate group for cutting off all services in Russia and the latter by a group of merchants in Russia who got screwed over when Apple unceremoniously shut down Apple Pay in the whole country. Of course, that's not all of the bad news for Netflix, who, if you recall from my analysis on Angry Tech News number 32, is having what they call in the industry a bad time. In case you missed that story, Netflix released their Q1 quarterly earnings report, in which they missed their quarterly subscriber goal. The original goal was to add 2.5 million subscribers. They missed that number by about 2.7 million and ended that quarter with their first subscriber loss in company history. In the same report, the company also forecast another decline of 2 million subscribers in Q2. As one might expect, these numbers do not instill shareholder confidence. The first of the shareholder lawsuits has been filed. It is seeking class action status on behalf of everyone who owns a piece of Netflix stock to receive unspecified damages from the company for lying to investors about their collapsing business model. 
This may be the first, but I suspect it won't be the last suit against Netflix. Just wait until investors see the latest lineup of originals. Lincoln College, a small central Illinois college, is shutting its doors for good. The college was founded in 1865, just after the Civil War, and is one of only a few rural American colleges that qualify as black colleges under the U.S. Department of Education rules. It survived the Spanish flu, the Great Depression, and both world wars, according to the goodbye note on its website, but it could not survive the transition to the information age. The school mentions financial troubles due to declining attendance following two years of government-imposed lockdowns, but the last straw was a December 2021 ransomware attack, which they say took down all of its computer systems needed for recruitment, retention, fundraising, and enrollment. The school was quick to point out that no student data had been leaked. It is at this point that I could inject a rant about the necessary decline of the anachronistic American college system pumping out useless degrees for an exorbitant cost in an era where most of human knowledge is just a YouTube video away. But instead, I think I'll just end with this bit of advice for dudes named Ben out there. Secure your networks, people. Also in ransomware news, Georgia-based U.S. agricultural equipment maker Agco Group admitted last week that a ransomware attack was, quote, disrupting operations at some of its production facilities. The release doesn't mention which facilities or systems were affected. The attacks couldn't come at a worse time when supply chain issues and labor strikes have already caused the company to struggle to keep up with farmers' orders and right during planting season to boot. No word on who is responsible for the ransomware, but we at Angry Tech News are unable to rule out the possibility that the AI in a cloud-connected tractor manufactured by Agco's biggest rival, John Deere, may have gained sentience and infected the company by way of tainted bioengineered Monsanto seeds. Instagram, showing its commitment to stay firmly behind the curve when it comes to internet fads, is now testing the integration of NFTs into its service. According to Instagram head Adam Mosseri, users will be able to share NFTs they've created or bought in their feed, stories, and messages, and will be able to even set them as profile pics. Not being an Instagram user, I am clearly not in a position to understand why users couldn't already do all of these things with NFT images, which are nothing more than internet-hosted JPEGs. But hopefully one of our Instagram-savvy producers will be able to explain it to me. Mosseri pointed out that Instagram users will not have to pay any fees to share a JPEG in this way, prompting some to speculate that this feature might be added in a future update. No word on whether Instagram plans to allow NFTs to be bought and sold within the app in the future, and if they do, whether or not it will happen before or after the NFT market collapses entirely. And as long as we're pointing and laughing at NFT culture, the Discord channel for OpenSea, the net's largest NFT marketplace, was also hacked last week. After acquiring elevated privileges to the Discord chat, a bot posted a fake announcement about OpenSea partnering with YouTube and a link to get one of 100 free, freshly minted NFTs before they were gone forever. In a twist that should surprise no one, users who clicked the link and entered their wallet credentials were unpleasantly surprised to find out that the site did not, in fact, add any NFTs, but rather drained their wallet and stole any NFTs found therein. 
In all, The Verge reports that approximately $18,000 worth of NFTs were stolen via this scam. With the volatility of NFT prices, we can expect that number to be next week, $36,000, and the week after that, about $1.50. The article gives no details about how the Discord channel was hacked. As much as I'd like to finish off with a jab at Discord for this, it's much more likely that the hack was due to someone using a weak password than someone cracking the service itself. And besides, anyone who's been on the internet long enough to know what an NFT is and yet doesn't understand basic phishing protection like don't enter your wallet credentials into random links you find was probably due the lesson. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has announced a $5.5 million settlement with NVIDIA over charges that they lied to investors about the percentage of their GPU sales that went to crypto miners versus the percentage that went to gamers. According to the SEC order, NVIDIA misled investors by reporting a huge boost in sales due to gaming rather than reporting it under the much more volatile cryptocurrency market. To an investor trying to decide what the stock is going to do, for example, during the late 2018 crypto crash when NVIDIA's quarterly projections dropped by half a billion dollars, that's a pretty important detail. The distinction, of course, doesn't mean much to the average consumer, though, who likely didn't care why GPUs were expensive and hard to come by. What might matter to those consumers, though, is another story last week from Digital Trends, who reported that GPU prices are now finally coming down from the stratosphere. For the first time since 2017, they report, NVIDIA GeForce and AMD Radeon cards can be found for MSRP or below. The first time since the 2020 chip shortage that they've even been close. The article speculates several reasons, from the cooling cryptocurrency market after China made mining illegal to the impending next-gen chips going on sale in a couple of months. Either way, if you, like me, have been sitting on the same old 2016 graphics card just waiting for prices to come down so you can squeeze that last few FPS out of your Minecraft game, now might be the time to buy. And finally, Microsoft's Xbox Cloud platform experienced a, quote, major outage last weekend that disabled all Xbox Live services for more than 12 hours. During that time, they say users were unable to purchase games, start online gaming sessions, launch cloud games, or launch offline games. I only mention this story because one of those things is not like the other. If the network is out or having problems, I expect to be unable to do any activity that inherently has to happen online. As much as it may surprise and frustrate the money grubbers behind the Xbox brand, I'm cool with putting off my game purchase until your servers are back up. I might get annoyed if I can't, say, sign into Call of Halo Craft Deathmatch, making me wait a few hours before I can again go get ganked by a bunch of 11-year-olds who want to defile my dead grandmother's corpse. But launching offline games? Why? What's the point? Do you people not understand what the word offline means? Microsoft Xbox represents pretty much everything wrong with modern console gaming. You drop $500 on a console, another 100 or two for accessories that work only with that console, you're never using them with any other device, $60 a year for subscription to access the online features, $60 to buy a digital copy of the game, and then $15 each per DLC or map pack that's been released. There's usually three or four of those, and they are required, of course, to play online. And after you pay all of that, what do you actually own? Nothing. 
because a network outage can make that entire investment useless. You can't log in, you can't access any of your digital games, which are of course all stored in the cloud, even for offline play. After all, if you are the horrible person who would play a video game while their servers are offline, you might be a pirate and stealing the company's hard-earned revenue. Or maybe you own nothing because all it takes is a lost password or an F-bomb dropped in the wrong chat room or some technician in Redmond fat-fingering a database entry and Microsoft in their sole discretion and with very little chance to appeal can ban your account and delete your multi-thousand dollar investment with one keystroke. You used to be able to hedge against that possibility by buying physical discs and by playing offline games, but physical games are going away. They're harder to find and often require DLC, which you have to get digitally anyway. Microsoft's latest console version of the Xbox doesn't even have an optical drive. Okay, maybe I take this a little too seriously. Like many Gen Xers, I grew up in the golden age of gaming. My first console was an Atari 2600. I lived through the age where you had to blow into the cartridge pins to get the game to load. And I used to love Xbox. I loved getting the achievements popping up every time you kill an enemy. The novelty of chatting and playing with your friends across the internet like they're just like they're there with you in your living room on split screen. Anyone remember that? Gaming today is all about nickeling and diming the player and about treating them like the enemy with constant authentication, subscriptions, required updates and draconian, incomprehensible terms of service. I don't know when that changed. Certainly, I was blinded to the April cor evil corporate BS when I was drinking the corporate Kool-Aid there. Maybe it was always like that. Or maybe I've just become a casual. I want to thank Don DeHart, Raymond Zorger, and Sharky for producing this episode of Angry Tech News. This podcast takes a long time to make. Start to finish, it's been taking me about 10 hours to make each 20-minute episode. It's as much work and effort as I've ever put into any full-time job. To steal a trope from the Peace Corps, it's the toughest job I've ever loved. But it doesn't pay like a full-time job. Very few podcasts do. And that means it gets deprioritized when paying work comes along. That said, you guys are producing a show and a show you'll get. I feel bad about missing last week. I intend to make it up to you. I owe you that value. The producers of this show are the reason I make Angry Tech News. Not just because of your generous monetary support, but also because it lets me know that I have an audience, that I have people counting on me to bring them a little bit of tech news smeared with a ton of analysis and sarcasm. You guys are so generous and helpful, and sometimes you even throw a story my way, which I shamelessly steal every time. Unfortunately, there's not that many of you. There's about 15 names that I read during this weekly segment at month after month. Most of them are monthly donations that come in like clockwork, and believe me, I appreciate it. You're getting value from the show, and that thrills me. I've got some life changes coming up, not least of which is trying to get the hell out of the left coast. I'm going to be busy, and I'm not really sure what that's going to do to ATN. So here's my call to action. If you really want Angry Tech News to keep going, recommend it to a friend. Recommend it to an enemy. Post it to your gaming Discord channel. Make a YouTube show making fun of it, listing all the ways that you think I'm wrong about stuff. Get the word out there. Let's see some new names on the producer list. I love the 15 of you, but let's see if we can make it 50. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we do not charge you to listen, but we're funded by your donations. If you receive value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you be it $5, $20, or $100. That's it for now. 
I'm Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose, at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay angry.